Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Just a quick little thing that says, this is a two-part episode. Sometimes I get so passionate and I work so hard on a on a podcast that's supposed to be about an hour long and it ends up being two hours of content. Uh, and so <laughs> I, was, I worked so hard on this because I wanted this episode to be incredible and it ended up accidentally being a two-hour thing. So I split it into two parts. The first part has some tactics that are new and I'm super excited about them. They're things I'm using right now. The second part has some of that plus a special super special guest that I don't want you to miss and an ending that I was so passionate about that it was the deciding factor for splitting this episode into two because I thought if it's too long people aren't going to make it to the end and the ending of part two is really really special to me so I hope you stick around for both parts there you go the two-part 2019 best year yet episode let's go do it So why do you need to take promoting your creative work so super seriously? Why did I choose this topic to kick off the year to prioritize how to make 2019 your best creative career year yet? Here's why. 
Uh, I'll, I'll start it by just telling you a quick story. When I was starting out as a, trying to be an illustrator and I graduated college, I was, I had no idea what the heck I was going to do. I was panicking. We had a baby on the way right out of college. Uh, I was working at Subway, which I told you a lot about last episode, but, and I hated working at Subway just so I can, I got, you can feel the pain of how desperately mate working at Subway just made me so sick. Not about the company. I don't need any libel lawsuits here just because it does. I can't do it. It's not me. And I'm still in pain about it. It's like, you know, uh, traumatic stress after having to work there for years to pay the bills. And um, it gave me a lot. I met my wife, lots of romance going on at Subway, lots of people hooking up (laughs) with this. (laughs) Okay. Stop, Andy. Uh, But it was hard for me. It was hard for me to have that job. Uh, I had no prospects. I interviewed for a lot of graphic design jobs, didn't get any of them because my portfolio was not a design portfolio and I was panicking and I didn't know what else to do and I had to make some stuff happen for myself. And you know what I just started doing? Writing tons and tons and tons of emails. I just wrote to every person and every illustrator and every magazine and every blog every freaking thing I could find that could possibly help me jumpstart my creative career. And I had no idea what I was doing. A lot of those emails I sent are probably extremely embarrassing, uh, but, but that's, all, that's all I knew to do. And here's the thing, it worked or it started to work at the very least. I started to get a steady trickle of opportunities coming my way. And so every, uh, from when I graduated in June 2008 to the following June, every month I made more money than I had made the month before. And so it was growing and until this big crescendo in June 20, June 2009, 29, um, <laughs> I had a bunch of amazing opportunities, some big ticket uh, illustration ad jobs, so much so that we we're going to use this money to uh, quit my job, move back to the States, which was really expensive, and start this new life and buy a house, right? So all this stuff's happening. And I'm like, yeah, baby, I did it. And we moved back. And as you know, if you're a listener of this, if you're a true pepperoni, you know that that's when the crap hit the freaking fan and no jobs rolled in. And I do think it was partially about the recession session. That's why things slowed down. But ultimately, what I learned was there was something even, uh, something more in my control going on than I'd realized. You see, I think it was not unlike going into the farming industry uh, and thinking, getting started as a farmer, planting all these seeds, tilling the soil, and like all of this produce coming coming through and harvesting all the corn and the beef. You can't harvest beef. I don't know why that, beets, how about that? Beets and uh, all of these vegetables and it's all popping through the ground. And then when those plants die off and the seasons change, thinking that next year, they were a didn't not knowing about the seasons and then b not realizing that you don't just plant seeds one time right obvious for us right we're not we're we're not you don't have to be a farmer to to know that you got to plant seeds every year and that you if you want to harvest something but 
I didn't know that as an illustrator. I thought all of that crazy emailing, promoting, getting the word out, tooting my own horn uh, was going to – that it was all about the breakthrough and the break-in. And then once I'd done that, I, can, I was in. I had made it, and it was all going to work, but only to find out that there I went after I'd harvested these jobs, ready for the next harvest, but there were no seedlings coming through. That my inbox was, you know, it had the, 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 the proverbial, what are they called? The little thing with, (laughs) this is becoming a regular occurrence on the podcast where I lose a word, um, because I'm ADHD and I, my brain goes into a billion different places, but you know, the thing on the old West where the, a a little dust hay ball, Thing rolls by that. That's what happened. That was my inbox. Uh, nothing, and I realized the hard way that if I didn't make it a priority to plant seeds year round, that I would not be able to plan on harvesting seeds year round. So even when I was busy, I had to make it part of my pro. Uh, part of my process to plant seeds while I was harvesting if I wanted to harvest plants after uh, (laughs) the farming metaphor is getting taken too far. But you understand what I'm saying. And so I strongly believe that you've got to have, if you've ever had a slow season approaching careers in a, in a creative way, approaching them as a freelancer in the gig economy, doing your own thing, whatever it might be. If you've ever had a slow season, you know that it is uh, an existential crisis uh, in a very real way of like, what the hell am I doing? What's wrong with me? Has everything gone to hell? And then you get this job in the inbox. You're like, oh gosh, whoo, everything's okay. And Everybody has slow times. They're, you know, I, I don't have devastating slow times anymore, but they, they come, and they come way less frequently now that I've made promotion as part of my calendar, part of my everyday, part of even when I'm busy. And so that's what this episode's about is that – and also I just want to say I want to convince you that selling is part of being a creative person. That that there's this myth, there's this idea that if your work's good, if it has merit, you won't have to sell it. And I would argue that being good will allow you to sustain. It'll help you get repeat clients, but it will not necessarily get new things happening into your door. I think about it like this. There's so much sales required to get your movie into the cinema. Now, keeping it in the cinema and being allowed to make another movie That's on the back of the movie that you made being good. But getting it into the cinema, it requires so much sales, so many board meetings, so many pitches, so so many people saying yes to, to you before you get into the arena. And all of that is promotion. All of that is sales. And so if there's something in you that says, well, if I was good, if my work was good enough, it would spread on its own. If I was good, I wouldn't need to promote my work. Whatever that is in you, you need to Burn that to the ground right now and embrace promoting your work because, by the way, you owe it to the people that will be moved, that will be touched, that will have a better life because your work is in your life, in in their life. I heard Daniel Pink on Kathy Heller's uh, 
Don't Keep Your Day Job podcast. I was on that podcast recently, had a great conversation with Kathy, been been chatting a bunch with her. She's got a bunch of amazing guests like Seth Godin, Jenna Fisher, a.k.a. Pam from The Office, Mandy Moore, and Daniel Pink, um, best-selling, New York Times best-selling author. And he was talking about how everybody is a salesperson and that sales, what it's really supposed to be about is believing in your product to the point of seeing your sales as a public service. Because if you, there, there are things that I've made, there are you know lettering pieces that I've made that I think this, if this hits somebody at the right time on Instagram, it might completely change around, turn around an hour of their life. It might completely change around their week. Who knows? It might hit them in the exact right moment that they needed to hear it, that it's a disservice to that person not to promote it on Instagram. It's a disservice to that person to hide my art. And so I want to challenge you to A, embrace promotion in the long haul, getting your stuff out there, believing in your work to the point that you owe it to the world, you owe it to the thousand true fans that your stuff is going to resonate on a deep level and make their lives better. You owe it to them to give everything you've got to find them and connect them with your work. And this episode is going to be 12 tactics. This episode is freaking, you know, Andy likes to get big picture uh, and talk in the third person, apparently, uh, <laughs> uh, and get esoteric and philosophical about things. Our last episode was all that. This episode, the philosophy ends here. Uh, I just want to convince you a little bit with some philosophy, but ultimately this is 12 things you can do. And what I want you to do is go out and get my calendar. I'm using that philosophy. I'm proving that I believe uh, the philosophy of selling your work by selling you on my 2019 calendar, the Creative Pep Talk 2019 calendar. If you want to support the show. It's a great way. You go to creativepeptalk.etsy.com and get one of these little calendars that I made for the show. But ultimately, do you know what I love about this product and why I have made it two years in a row is that I love the idea that there's some kind of metaphysical, uh, <laughs> spiritual, mystical thing that says when June comes around, you flip it to June, you see the lettering and the encouragement from June that for some reason it's going to be the thing that you needed to hear right at that moment. Like, like maybe you even forgot to turn the calendar for a month and all of a sudden you flip to June and it's this thing that smacks you in the face or it's just a reminder that, you know, I tried to pair up the months with like the types of feelings and emotions that you might be feeling at that time of the year. And uh, I believe in the calendar. And then on top of that, I want you to use it as a tool. You can use it on other calendars if you want, but this, what I want you to do is I want you to plot out a day at the beginning of each month, 12 days in the year to dedicate a morning or an evening just a few hours to promoting your work, whether you're busy harvesting or not, or whether you're panicking about there is no harvest. I want you to decide ahead of time to be passionately dedicated to promoting your work all throughout the year. And you can take one day each month at 12 months and use one of these tactics. You can just plot them out verbatim. You can use, if, if one of these tactics speaks to you more than others or works better than others, you can do it however you want. But I want you to use this tactic 
with this episode. So go get the calendar, get started. Let's promote our stuff all year and and believe in our work enough to see it as a public service to connect it to the people that uh, it enriches their lives, right? Let's do it. Number one, the first tactic that you need to employ is uh, target your audience. You're going to hear marketers talk about all this time. I'm not sure they always are clear why it's important. I'm going to tell you why it's incredibly important, and it's going to impl- it's going to impact how you utilize this tactic in real time, baby. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, who has the same definition of good as you when it comes to the creative work that you do? Who is your work for? right? You're making work and hopefully you're making work that you think's good and who shares that opinion? You know, Venom, that movie uh, with Tom Hardy, man, I haven't watched it. I'm really scared to watch it because I, Venom's probably my favorite childhood superhero. Um, I was freaking nuts about him. I always just thought he was the coolest. All the, um, I still draw characters that look like Venom in my work. Um, I'll leave it up to you to go find them in my work. I just love it, man. And uh, I was just, I'm scared of what that movie is. Uh, I wanted it to be amazing. On the flip side, I saw Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and it freaking knocked my socks off, all the way off. And I, oh man. Anyway, think of Venom's in the next Spider-Verse movie. Oh my gosh. Anyway. Here's my point about why I'm bringing up Venom. Venom has been tremendously successful in the box office, even though it was panned by the critics. And so it doesn't matter. Merit is relative. It doesn't matter what your definition of good is or what someone else's definition of good is. All that it matters is that you and your audience share that definition, that it resonates, that it connects. And fans loved Venom. It's been an international box office super smash hit. And, uh, and and you don't have to like it, but those people do. And so you've got to say, who are the people that think that think what's good is what you think is good? Uh, and define those people. Really define them. Go find them. And then this is what I suggest you do. And this could be people that you want to hire you, people that you would want to buy your products. One of the things that's tricky about promoting your work is that it's really hard to promote directly to customers because there's an element of discovering creative stuff that's really important to the process of becoming a true fan. And so ramming it down people's throats and saying, you should like this is one of the surefire ways to make sure they won't ever give it a chance. You know, if you tell your friend about this restaurant, like, oh my gosh, wait till you try this food. It's going to be a taste explosion in your brain. You're like, you're not going to know what's going on. And then it's really hard to live up to that hype when something's been sold to you that way. Here's my suggestion, my tactic around that. So start by clearly defining some people, not make it made up people, not personas or avatars of possible customers, real people, people, you know, maybe it's someone at the New York Times, an art director at the New York Times, maybe it's a record label exec, maybe it's whatever, but find the specific real people that you think if they gave your work a real chance, they'd like it because their definition's the same as yours, uh, their definition of good is the same as yours, and then go find where they discover people like you. That might be if you're an illustrator, go look at their profile on Illustrator and go see who they follow. What blogs do they follow? Where do they 
find people like you and then directly promo to those blogs or to those Instagram accounts. Go approach them directly. Write them a DM. Go write them an email. Ask them if you can send them something in the mail. Go tactically worm and weave your way around it uh, so that you can create those seemingly organic, incepted moments into the people that you want to connect with. That's my first tactic. Let's do it. Number two is weak point of entry. Uh, This can be added to number one in a way. It's kind of a, a piggyback on that. When it comes to the places where these people, where your customers find people like you, what you're going to want to do is put the most time and energy to the shortest line, right? When I was, when I had Seth Godin on my podcast, which you're going to hear me say maybe 8 million times this year, because it's, (laughs) it's such a special moment to me. But well, when Seth Godin was on my podcast, he's a personal hero of mine. He's changed my life in a million ways. Um, And I just think he's a brilliant, lovely human. Uh, And so anyway, but one thing he said while he was on my show was, uh, I said, what would you do if you were a illustrator who wanted to work with the New York Times? How would you approach that? And his first thing would say, well, first, and and I said, go ahead and tear apart the premise. (laughs) It's because I know that he's often does that um, because there's a lot of insight there by asking the right question. And he said, well, the first thing I'd do was I wouldn't try to work with the New York Times because that line is just too long. There's a million illustrators that want to do just that. And actually, there's probably lines that are shorter and more meaningful to you. And when this came to wanting to work with bands for me, you've heard me talk about this tactic on the podcast before, uh, but I think it's a good reminder and it's definitely good to anybody that hasn't heard it. When I wanted to do band posters, I listed out my top 10 favorite bands and I found which of these bands are the most uh, resonate deepest with me, uh, which of these have maybe the most critically acclaimed, and which of these have the littlest following, which of these have the shortest line, which of these have the lowest gate or the weakest point of in- entry into this industry, and focus an enormous amount of time uh, and energy trying to break through the shortest line. So I would highly recommend that. So the third one is entrepreneurial approach to promo. There's, uh, you know, you can approach businesses that hire people like you every day. And that's kind of just your typical service industry promo. But I found, especially at the beginning, and this really was a practice that enlarged my thinking about business. Uh, one thing that was really helpful to me when I was really struggling and I, ha- I just had to make some money. This is in the first couple years of my business, like 2008 to 2010. Um, we, I just needed to pay rent and I had no idea what to do. And I'd emailed everybody that hires illustrators and nobody was hiring me in that moment. And so what I did was I went locally and I brainstormed pitches 
as an entrepreneur, almost like a door-to-door salesman. And I found, uh, I came up with ideas, like I came to this uh, social company, this charity, this local nonprofit that did all this interworkings with local businesses. And I pitched them this idea to do a Columbus coloring book. This was when I lived in Columbus, Indiana. I now live in Columbus, Ohio. It's a little bit confusing, but there we go. You're smart people, I'm sure. You can, you know there's more than one Columbus, and we're going to be moving to Columbus, Georgia later this month. Just kidding. Uh, a tour of the Columbuses. He, okay, my point was I came up with this idea. I pitched it to this local nonprofit that had all this, all these connections with all the local businesses. And I said, what if we got a, we made a coloring book about Columbus, Indiana and all the amazing architecture that's there. Um, which if you don't know, that's not a joke. They actually have a movie called Columbus starring, uh, John Cho, uh, the guy from Star Trek, the guy from Harold and Kumar. <laughs> he, they did a whole movie about this anyway. Goodness gracious, that ADHD is ripe for the picking today. I said, what if we get every page sponsored for X amount of dollars by local businesses? They can have their logo on the page and we'll celebrate the the town's architecture and we'll make a coloring book and I'll take 50% and you take 50%. I paid my rent for like two months on that book and it was a ton of work and it was hard and I learned a lot. And one of the things that I see over and over and over again is these creative people that use amazing levels of creativity in their creative work, but almost no level of creative, uh, creative uh, juices when it comes to their business. Could you see your business in making money as an art? I argue that you should and that you will see amazing results if you do. And so maybe, you know, uh, a boutique clothing store, a boutique outdoor store that has a big blank wall that looks terrible in their store. And you go and say, Hey, you know, what would be awesome there, a mural. And you can even give in to him at a discount so that you can use it as portfolio fodder. Uh, you know, one thing to think about is these little local people shouldn't be paying as much as Coca-Cola for a mural because the usage is that much different. But you can start drumming up your own work by thinking less like a freelancer and more like an entrepreneur and pitching ideas and actively brainstorming new streams of income that nobody's coming and pitching to you. Number four, connect with the local arts organizations wherever you live and wherever your parents live, for that matter, where your hometown is. If you live in New York City, you can connect back with other places that you have deep roots and connections to. But here's the tactic, big fish, small pond tactic. So let's talk about Seth Godin one more time. I'm not going to lie to you. Maybe it'll be another time later this episode. But in the in his book, The Dip, he talks about how the only way to succeed in 2019 in this era of business is being the absolute best. 
Now, the problem with being the best is that not everybody can be Michael Jordan of basketball, but you can niche down and be the best at rebounds like Dennis Rodman. And guess what? You're not the best musician in the world. You're not the best illustrator in the world. You're not the best lettering artist in the world. You're not the best at logos in the world. I'm sorry to break it to you. You're not the funniest person in the world, but you might be the funniest woman in Seattle. You might be the most, the uh, the craziest, strangest lettering artist in New Baltimore. There is no New Baltimore, but that's the word that came to my brain. Uh, that's a way of niching down. Geography is a way of niching down to be the ultimate best. Seth Godin says, no one says, you know where we should go? The second best pizza place in town. No, you go to the best. How do you be the best in the world? Be the best in your world. And one of the ways you do that is make sure you're on the radar of the museums, the the the, the local arts councils, the the blah, 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 all the different, all the different places where people congregate and talk about creative stuff, especially, and hear me out here, especially across medium. Don't you, I do want you to please connect face to face with uh, people that do what you do in your area. It's really important, but please connect face-to-face with people from different mediums. Why? Because when they hear about you, if you are a facial recognition in their brain of a local person that does what you do, statistically, you will be top of mind when someone says, man, I really need a local illustrator. They'll be like, Andy, he's the local illustrator that I know by face. And so, You've got to get that FaceTime with the people you can get that FaceTime with, which the easiest people to do that with are the people in your town, especially people that work in different industries to you. Uh, so you can broaden that net. When I lived in Columbus, Indiana, a, a, not even a large city, a small place in Indiana, I went deep. When I was struggling, I went deep into the local arts organizations. I was on the board of directors of a museum there, and I got the best jobs. I'm telling you, I've worked with people like, here comes Andy's big boost of confidence, tooting his own horn, which is what this episode's all about. When I've worked with the likes of YouTube, the New York Times, Google, blah, 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 all these big clients, guess what? A lot of them didn't pay as much as uh, the, the bank down the street that I got to do a project with because someone in the area knew who I was. And so... You've got to go connect. You've got to go promo. You've got to get face-to-face. Go be the big fish in your small pond. Quick one. Feedback. Get some feedback. This is a great way to connect with your heroes, to connect with a manager, a record label, whatever, whoever the the people that you want to be on their radar. One of the ways of doing that. So one of the tricks, one of the problems, uh, what makes it tricky to connect sometimes is often it's a vague kind of vibe that you're approaching an agent with or a manager. You're kind of like, hey, I got stuff. Do you, here it is. Look at it. And you're kind of 
assuming that they'll have some way of knowing what to do with that. Like hopefully they'll give you money, but you probably don't want to write that in the email. Like, Hey, I do stuff. Want to give me money for it? That sounds weird. Don't say that to people could get you in a lot of trouble, but uh, here's a trick that I learned um, from Donald Miller, uh, who's a writer, and he has a podcast called uh, Building a Story Brand. He's a marketing guy now, used to be an art guy. It's all kind of a whole weird trajectory. We don't have time to explain that on this episode. But one thing that he said, just so that I give the right attribution, um, is that if you want to connect with somebody, one of the best ways to do that is to send an email to this person and say, hey, I'd love some feedback on what uh, on my work. What do you think about it? And to make it so easy, say, could you tell me one thing that you think I should work on? One thing. And gr- the great thing about that is you're asking for critical feedback. So you're getting uh, feedback that's necessary to your growth. Uh, you're asking it in such a way that they're not criticizing you, even though they are, um, they're actually encouraging you and you're giving them a really easy homework assignment and human beings love to cross off something off our list, especially if it's just really easy. Who here, when you make a to-do list, put write a to-do list on the to-do list just so you can cross it off right when you write, as you write it. That's one of these. It feels good to say, hey, could you look at this body of work and just tell me one thing One thing you think I need to improve on, and by the way, there's no such thing as an anonymous artist blacklist. Now, big time people who make giant character failures, yeah, there's a blacklist for those creatives, but there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of room in your brain to remember artists you don't like. I guarantee you, you'll have a hard time remembering artists that you do like, right? Their names, the last artist you got into, think of them. Think of the work they make. You might remember their work. Almost guarantee you can't remember their name. Why would you remember the name of someone's work who you don't like? And you don't know how many people I work with now, I'm friends with now, that when they probably first saw my work in 2008, they thought, barf. Uh, <laughs> my wife and I love the word barf. Um, we say it all the time. It, it's just got, I think of barf as an onomatopoeia. I'm grossing people out, but think about it like that. Give them a little to-do list. It's one of the most uh, helpful ways of self-promo and reaching out that I've ever found, and I've used it a bunch of times. There you go. What about an announcement, Andy? Well, I'm glad you asked, Andy. That's number six on the list. Andy, there's a lot of third person going on. An announcement. Could you plan something that you plan? You know, one of the things I do is some people have noticed it. Uh, every year I redo my website or I update my website. Most of the time I redo, I remake my website. It doesn't even have to be a, an insane redesign, but it's got to be different enough to make an announcement. Why? people share announcements. If you can do it like a press release, if you can say, hey, big exciting news, I got this thing, you are going to be so much more likely to get traction and it's in your hands. And actually, I've looked up a statistic. It says that according to Salesforce, uh, a tweet that says, please RT or please spread the word or please retweet is retweeted 12 times more 
often than a tweet that doesn't. And when you have a big announcement, people aren't going to mind if you say, hey, could you help me spread the word about this big announcement? So maybe you could get started today planning something in six months that could be this giant press release of this new website or this new book or this big thing that you're planning. It's a big event just as a way, not necessarily even to get people to go to the event or buy the book, but just as a way of getting top of mind and getting the word about what you do spread. A lot of the things that I do, you know, I'll do products sometimes where it's like, you know what, we might not sell that many of this product, but it'll be a great press release and it's great marketing. So this episode ended up being two episodes because it was so much stuff jam-packed with the jazz and the juice. So we cut it in half. Tune in next week for six more tactics for promoting your work to make 2019 the best year yet of your creative career. I'm telling you, you're not going to want to miss it. Not only do we have a bunch more tactics that I've been bleeding to make as good as possible. We also have a special guest, a super special secret guest, and my take on Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And I'm very passionate about it. I, I think I might have cried when I recorded that part. It's coming next week. Be sure to tune in. Uh, it was Oh, don't forget to go to creativepeptalk.etsy.com E-T-S-Y in case you don't know what Etsy is to get your calendar to mark out 12 days this year to keep planting those seeds so that you never find yourself with no harvest coming through the soil. I believe in it. I hope you do too. Go check it out. Thanks to everybody who's already bought the calendar. We have a limited amount of them. We're not going to reprint them because, you know, they're only good for one year. New little segment on the show. We're going to celebrate one of our lovely patrons. I have a Patreon. We have a Patreon for Creative Pep Talk. If you love Creative Pep Talk, you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash creative pep talk. Today, we're going to celebrate you, Kit Collins. Kit Collins, illustrator who supports this show. Go check out her Instagram at K-I-T-S-H, no, K-I-T-S-C-H-C-O-L-L. I-N-S. Go check her out on Instagram. Really cool illustration stuff. Thank you for supporting the show, Kit Collins. We love you, Kit Collins. Thanks for uh, listening to the show. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for the theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for editing this podcast as well as providing the soundtrack. We love you and your work, buddy. Thanks to all of you for listening. And until we speak again... Stay pepped up.